Our second lesson picks up immediately after the first lesson. Still from the book of Acts, still from chapter 9, verses 10 through 20. Listen for God's word to speak to you. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, into the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen a vision. In a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before the Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and his sight was restored. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength for several days. He was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to see. Wipe the scales from our eyes. Lord God, bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts. May they be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's nothing that will quite change your life like being a father or being a parent. You may know what it is might be like. You may have all sorts of ideas of what it's like to be a parent before you actually are one. But actually being one changes your life in ways that you cannot even comprehend beforehand. Everything, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you think about, 
who gets to make decisions about what happens in your household, what time bedtimes are, what times nap times are, all of those things completely change. It's something that happens immediately and not quite immediately either. And there's a little bit of a difference between mothers and fathers in this, right? Because the mother finds that she's pregnant and begins this relationship with this child literally inside of her. She is by no means, or she is certainly going through some transitions, physical and emotional and understanding things, and yet it is a much more intimate sort of thing. Her partner, however, observes this whole thing from the outside. And I experience myself, maybe you experience as well, as I have talked with those who are becoming Fathers, there's this transition period between knowing that this is a thing that is going to happen and it actually happening. There are lots of thoughts that go through our mind. What exactly is this going to be like? There are moments of great confidence. Yes, I've got this. This will be great. And there are moments of great existential dread, like, how am I going to pull this off? There are thoughts and wonders about relationship with our own father. And how will I learn from the things that have happened and how will I do better and how will I never ever do that thing? And what do I do when I start doing it? challenge. These are big, big changes. And maybe a toehold, maybe a way for us to understand the big changes that we see in the book of Acts. Be Saul. Saul is on his way to Damascus. Now, in the book of Acts, we have met Saul before. Saul, at the, the, the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, didn't actually throw the rocks, but he approved of the throwing of said rocks. And he watched the coats of the men who threw them down so they could throw rocks at Stephen until he died. After that time, he has now become this great persecutor of the way, as they called the early church. He is going through Jerusalem, and now he is extending his territory, seeking out those dangerous individuals who would continue to spread the lie that Jesus of Nazareth was something more than just a carpenter and a deranged man. 
We also know from other writings that he is a student of Gamaliel, the old man who stood up in the Sanhedrin that we read a couple of weeks ago. But in his fiery youth and passion, he is doing something a little bit different than the slow wisdom of Gamaliel. He is actively seeking the arrest with the hope of death of these believers of Jesus. And he is arresting not only men, but also women as well, holding them personally accountable. He is on his way to Damascus. He has a a letter giving him the authority to arrest anyone who believes in Jesus as the Messiah, anyone who believes in the resurrection, anyone who would dare oppose the authority of the Sanhedrin and the chief priests. And then his life changes. He sees Jesus, the risen Messiah, who asks him, Saul, what are you doing? What do you mean, what am I doing? Why are you persecuting me? Who are you? As if I don't know the answer. I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. And he is struck blind. He then has to be led all the way, the rest of the way to Damascus, the place where he was going to arrest believers to go and sit in the darkness for three days. Think about what he was thinking about during those days. as he thinks back over his whole life, but especially the last several months, the things that he has done. The reasons that he had been giving for doing those things and now questioning all of those reasons, thinking through the implications. What does this mean? Doing all this in a completely vulnerable position, he is blind in a place that he is not familiar with. Anyone. Any one of those people who he had come with the intent to arrest and have killed could come and do the exact same to him. But in this story... Saul is not the only one whose life changes. We also have this story of Ananias. Now, many of us have heard the the story of Saul. In fact, Saul, who eventually will be known as Paul, tells this same story three other times throughout the book of Acts. He tells it in various times to letters to churches. But Ananias is also a part of this story. Be Ananias. You're there in Damascus. You are waiting. You have heard rumors that this Saul, 
who has been persecuting the way in Jerusalem, is on his way right now to arrest people. Perhaps others in your church, your little enclave of folks who believe in Jesus, have run away already. Getting as far away as they can from Damascus. But you're here and you're praying. And Ananias, too, gets a vision of Jesus, the risen Christ, who says, Ananias, I've got a special job for you. Great, what is it? Go to a certain house. There's a guy named Saul. He's had a vision. And one of those visions is that a guy named Ananias is going to come and give him sight. And Ananias says, do what now? God, I, I don't know how to bring this up, but this guy Saul is trying to kill us all. He's not a good guy. And Jesus says, yeah, he is. I have chosen him to be my instrument. So go. What is Ananias thinking? As he walks down to the street called Straight, as he knocks on the door, as he goes into the room with Saul, does he think it's a trap? Does he think terrible things are going to happen? What would you think? But he goes into the room, and he puts his hand on Saul's head and prays that he would be healed and scales fall from Saul's eyes. He once was blind, but now he can see. John Newton, the writer of our closing hymn, Amazing Grace, used this as an image for his own life. If you don't know the story, John Newton was directly involved in the enslavement of peoples. His mother, who was a very religious woman, died in his early age, and so he followed his father, a sea captain. The age of 11, going up and down the African coast, finding people to enslave. John himself was, spent years as a slave to one of those African enslavers. When he finally got his freedom, he led a life that made other sailors say, whoa, slow down a little bit. So debased that even those around him thought he was crazy. And sailors are not exactly known for their high moral standards, especially during the 18th century. 
but then caught in a storm. At the helm of a ship, for 11 hours straight, he cried out to God. And from that moment on, his life was changed. He eventually became a minister. And for one Sunday morning, preached the sermon from which we get the words of amazing grace. He told his congregants that he was indeed a wretch. But God found him. He once was blind, but now he can see. He asked them, what was the point when God found you? For all, it should be a life-changing thing. Sometimes it happens all at once, and sometimes it is a more gradual process. As we think, what could this actually mean? Our life of discipleship, our life as those who have been saved by amazing grace, is to grapple and to hold on more and more each day to what this grace truly means. To allow our lives to be changed entirely. To allow God to take the blinders, the scales away from our eyes. Your life will be changed forever. So when and where did God find you? Amen.